0: I want to ask you to pray. Tuesday, I'll be preaching my father-in-law's funeral and um, just honored beyond words that uh, he asked me and entrusted me to do this. My father-in-law <clears throat> grew up in an orphanage, as I told you earlier. He, um, his mother died when he was three and his father didn't feel like he could care for him, so he put him in an orphanage. And... Um, Growing up in that orphanage, it was a Christian orphanage, but it was a very fundamental, very strict orphanage. And um, he told me, he said, when we were talking in October, he told me, he said, son, I never knew real love until I met Jesus Christ, until I gave my heart to Jesus. He knew rejection, all the things, you know, he and I have talked about this before, all the stats says and my father-in-law should have been a real hellion. But um, he had been sent to homes, and um, he'd arrive. In those days, they did. It's not like adoptions now, but he would arrive with his suitcase, and somebody would open the door, and they'd look at him and say, oh, "You're not what we want," and then they would send him, put him on a bus back to the orphanage. So you can imagine the rejection issues that he grew up with. But someone befriended him when he joined the air force, and. In Texas, in the Air Force, working on a plane together, there was a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And that really wasn't what my father-in-law wanted to hear because he associated with a lack of love and just rules and things of that nature. But this man just kept loving him and talking to him and he'd say, I I didn't believe him. I I have all this written down, but I also have it recorded. And so one time, he just trying to put him off, he told him, he says, you're just crazy, you know. You're just crazy, just putting him off. And so finally, the man convinced him to go to church. And he went to church there in Texas, and uh, he said, son, for the first time in my life, when I gave my heart to Jesus, he said, I was so convicted. For the first time in my life, I remember what it felt like to experience love. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? I mean, that is just phenomenal. From there, the Lord ordered his paths and he came to Georgia while he was still in the Air Force and that's how he met my mother-in-law and because he continued going to church and that's how Becky came into this world. He told me something during that time. He says, now, Becky is a Georgia peach, but you need to know she was conceived in Texas. (laughs) And I said, well, that's not important, is it? He goes, oh, yeah, that's important. So I'll share that at the funeral, you know. He... uh, (laughs) He was a good man. From there, that's what brought Becky into this world. That's why I'm here, I to be honest with you. Um, that's why, you know, if he hadn't have given me Becky and um, any success that we've enjoyed in our lives, it's, it's because of Becky. I'm convinced of that. She is too. Her mother-in-law, my mother-in-law is even more convinced of that, that any success I've experienced is because of, of Becky. But I'm so thankful that he loved the Lord. He was a godly pastor. He's a good pastor. And um, it's going to be an honor to... To bury him. Christopher was able to get there in time. Andrew's in war games. He could not come. And so, y'all pray for him. He really wants to be there. But um, I've known him all my life. There, you know, as I told you before, I can recall as a child them being in our home. But pray for Becky. Chris and Becky were standing right with her daddy when he passed away and breathed his last. Pray for the Sandy Langley family. Monday, I got to go, and uh, the family called me, and I was so grateful they did and sit with Sandy. and pray with Sandy, talk to her uh, before she breathed her last and just sitting there with her while she breathed her last prayer. And I know Sandy went to heaven. You may not know this about Sandy. I didn't know this. I only got to be your pastor for 12 years, but um, not long after she came, I preached a message about honoring your parents, taking care of your parents as they got older. And Sandy was a geriatric nurse. And as a result of what God spoke to her heart about that morning, she started our elder care ministry until her health failed. And, um, but just a godly, good woman. And um, we often talked about her family, and it was just in November that I buried her husband. And so all of my notes were still so fresh from things that we talked about. I told Steve and Bobby and uh, Raymond and John, I says, your mother's actually helping me preach this funeral. You don't realize this, but she's helping me. So. God's good, isn't he? He is so good, and to know that heaven is our home, we have something to look forward to. Well, Pastor Corey read to you the passage this morning as I start a series today called Expecting the Best, God's best for your life. There's so many things in the Bible where God talks about the best, the best plan for your life. He talks about the best pathway for your life. One time the Apostle Paul encourages us to earnestly seek after the best gifts, the best spiritual gifts, and we'll get into all of that as we go through the series. He, he talks about the best time, the best seasons. He talks about the best gift that the skies can give us. He talks about, in his word, the best gifts the sun can give us. He talks about the best gifts that the earth can give us. He talks about so many things, and God's descriptor for that is the best. And when I think about what's best with God, I mean, when people come to our home, Becky puts out the best for them. She just does her best to serve people well and to love them well. And she and I have often talked about this, what's the best of heaven going to really look like, and what's it going to be like? As Corey read to you this morning, he read to you from the book of Proverbs because I want to tie Proverbs in a lot with this series because Proverbs shows us how to live out the best in life. I did a a series of messages a few years ago, and I promised I would come back and do some more on it, but I just haven't felt led of the Lord yet to do that. But we called it verb. And I told you there in chapters one through nine, the book of Proverbs kind of gives you a definition of wisdom and then from 9 to about chapter 17 there are just all kinds of these pithy little sayings about Wisdom, And if you're wise, if you do these, they're the best pathway. They're the best decisions that you can make for your life. And it shows us how life normally works. And then from Proverbs 17 to about chapter 30 in the book of Proverbs, it deals with some of those up and down issues of life. Because even though you make the right decisions, bad things can still happen. How many of you know that? And so if you don't read Proverbs in its totality, and some of you, I know you've told me, you read a chapter from the book of Proverbs every day. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, and so you read a chapter from Proverbs every day, and you've really, God's mastering your decisions. He's mastering your spirit and your mind as you read this book and apply it to your life. You're being mastered by the wisdom of God. And in this particular passage that Pastor Cory read to you this morning, he said wisdom is better than all the trappings of wealth, but he also says that wisdom is insight and the virtue to live it out. And so when I read Proverbs and I read the Gospels especially, I come away with this anticipation, God's desire, God's heart is to bless me with the best in life. God's desire is to bless me with the best that there is to give in life. My children, when they were little, I can remember back in those days before they knew better, My was the smartest man alive. And they didn't mind telling people that. Before they knew better, I was the strongest man alive. They didn't mind telling their uncles that. And then they came to the age when they knew I wasn't the smartest man, and they knew I wasn't the strongest man alive. And then they became college sophomores, and they really thought they knew everything when they were sophomores. And now they're just starting to learn in their 30s. They don't know as much as they thought they did when they was a sophomore. The most dangerous student in the church is a sophomore seminary student because they think they know it all now. But when you live real life, you know that even though you trust God's Word, there are some dangerous things that happen. But I always felt honored and I always felt proud when my kids would say, my dad is the strongest or my dad is the smartest. I always felt proud of that because it honored me that my children thought that way about me. And when you think that way about God, you're honoring God. Did you know that? When you expect the best from God, when you expect the best care, the best provision, the best wisdom, the best gifts, the best pathway, the best life, you're honoring God because you're saying to God, I trust you. And just as your children honored you, you honor God. William Carey, who's considered the missionary father of all great missions efforts, says expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. That's what your faith will be able to accomplish for you. And yet when I read the book of Proverbs and I read the Gospels together and then I read that Jesus has become both to us wisdom and power. Jesus has become to us both wisdom and power in the Scripture. Suddenly, these things really begin to synthesize for me. It's no longer like you've taken apart the Old Testament, and then taken apart the Gospels, and then taken apart the pastoral epistles, but suddenly it all begins to synthesize and come together because then I understand That the wisdom that is personified in the book of Proverbs, that wisdom is Jesus. You see, wisdom is not the same thing as just being a good person, a morally good person. There's a man in the church, he and I were asked to give some contributions to be a part of advising to a a master's level degree for a university on, on ethics and business, and it was our privilege to meet and to talk and to invest and do that. And as we met together and had lunch together from time to time we talked about this and I remember telling the man who asked me, he says, I'm a pastor, you know, his degree might be more helpful for you because everything I'm gonna tell you, you don't need to ask me a question about ethics unless you want it from a biblical perspective, unless you wanna know from God's perspective. And though this wasn't a Christian class, he said to me, no, that's exactly what I need. We're developing a major in ethics and in virtue because we're finding so many students and so many businesses, they, they don't understand the virtues of life. Well, friends, the key to all virtues is not to be found in the wisdom of this world, is to be found in Christ. Jesus is both to us the wisdom, the knowledge, and the power of God. But wisdom is not the same as moral virtue. When a university and businesses understand that you've got to have virtues or people are no longer going to trust you if you don't deliver the product. When you say you're going to deliver the product, how you say you're going to deliver the product, there's an ethical problem there, a virtue problem. So they know to be successful, they've got to have some sort of moral goodness. But... That's not necessarily wisdom. Wisdom is not the same thing as vision. You've got to have vision. The Bible says without a vision, people perish. If you don't have a vision for your life, if you don't have a vision for your marriage and a vision for your home, you just kind of drift through life and different influences come along your way and you are driven by the tide rather than focused and moving according to a vision in your life. But wisdom is not the same thing as a vision. Wisdom is not the same thing as knowledge. I am blessed to know a lot of really, really smart people. But a lot of those smart people I know, they're not necessarily wise. I know people that are wise when it comes to mechanics. I know people that are wise when it comes to surgery. Excuse me, knowledgeable. I know people that are knowledgeable when it comes to science. But there are other parts of their lives that is a total mess, when you have a brilliant surgeon sit down with you and say my life is in a mess my marriage my family is in a mess I was listening to or watching a documentary on Hank Paulson just entitled Hank mister Paulson said I've never seen or heard of a successful businessman who lost his family I've never seen or heard from a successful businesswoman who lost her marriage and said, "Oh, I've been a success because I became rich, or became a, I became successful in business." And I would recommend that that documentary to you if you want to ever watch that, Hank. And I remember I replayed that and I replayed that, and that was coming from one of the most powerful and influential men. If you remember back during the housing crisis, you see, wisdom is not necessarily the same as knowledge. You may know how to operate on the brain or the heart, but that doesn't make you a wise man. You may know how to fix the most intricate parts on a computer or on an aircraft, but that doesn't make you a wise man. You see, wisdom is needed when it comes to, who do I marry, who do I date, or should I break up with this person? Uh, Wisdom comes, where should I live? Wisdom comes in, should I take this job, or should I follow the money? Wisdom comes into so many other decisions in our life. Sometimes wisdom comes into the fact because you go, should I confront this person or should I hold back and wait just a little while? Wisdom says I should talk to Jesus before I talk to this person about this issue. Wisdom takes it to God in prayer. We used to sing a song when I was a young man called, leave it there, leave it there. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, he will surely work it out. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. That's wisdom. But in a fast-paced world where we feel like we need the knowledge to make quick decisions, sometimes we trounce over relationships without going and talking to the Lord and leaving it there. I know that a wrong decision in any of those things that I just listed for you can cause a catastrophe in your life. Sometimes I just challenge you to go on to Amazon and Google, or I shouldn't say Google, search in Amazon all of the best life, best ways to make money, best ways to find a spouse, best ways to get a divorce. You'll be amazed at all the books that are out there to tell you how the best of life. One of those books I looked at on why divorce was the best option, it was just so farcical. You know, sometimes you just need to end the marriage and get on with your life and have the best life ever. And I'm reading this in the introduction of the book and I'm going, this is just idiotic. Because what they're doing is promoting a lifestyle contrary to the Scripture. Nothing I read, and it may have been addressed later in the book, but from the cover of the book and some of the sexual innuendos, I don't think it was, nothing was ever said about the five-year-old clinging to daddy's leg, saying, please don't go, please don't go. Nothing was ever said about the mother crying and weeping over a husband that had left, or or, uh, the young bride. Nothing was said about what had happened there. because. Knowledge says you want the best life for yourself. Wisdom says there's got to be a better way. Wisdom says in the scriptures that she's better than anything you've got. So in this synthesis that I want to bring out in this series about God's best for us, I want to take Proverbs, and I want to take the Gospels, and I want to take the pastoral epistles. I want to synthesize that message together Because Jesus is both the wisdom and the power of God to us. So it says to me, I want to choose God's best for my life. I want to choose God's best. Don't you? Don't you want God's best? I mean, I want God's best. Now, I got to admit, there are times when I don't want God's best. I'm just being honest. Don't throw rocks at me. But there are times when I come home and I go, Becky, let's don't put out the china. Let's don't put out the crystal. Let's just use paper plates and... You know, let's just throw it because, you know why? I don't want to have to wash dishes after it's over with. You you know, there's a cost to the best, right? Matter of fact, you just throw some hamburgers together, put them on a paper plate. I'm happy. I'm, you know, I'm free. (laughs) But you see, if you want God's best for life, then I got to tell you, it's probably not what you're thinking. You see, God's best is Jesus. God's best is Jesus. There's not a better spiritual gift. There's not a better miracle. There's not a better power. God's best is Jesus Christ. That's the reason we love John 3:16 so much. For God so loved the world, He gave, He gave His only begotten Son. I also love what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You see, the best gift is not even salvation. The best gift is not even justification. The best gift is Is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit the best gift? Is Jesus Christ? All of those other gifts are wonderful, but if it wasn't for Jesus, we would have none of them. There would be no. There is salvation in no other name except the name of Jesus. There is nothing or no one except for Christ. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, "Rare, excuse me, rings and jewels are not gifts, but they are only apologies for gifts." Let me read it again. Rings and jewels are not gifts, but apologies for gifts. The only gift is a portion of thyself. And isn't that what Jesus did? He came and he gave himself to us. I mean, we all know these kinds of Christians, right? As a matter of fact, I I looked for the boy's old Nerf blaster. That's how I wanted to illustrate this, but fortunately for you, I couldn't find it. (laughs) They've got this Nerf blaster that would shoot these balls out, these little foam balls. And I guess Andrew must have taken it to, to Georgia for his boys. But we all know those kind of Christians that they're always shooting truth bombs. at you. Boof, poof, 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 poof. Thou shalt, now, you shouldn't talk that way. You shouldn't act that way. You know, you know, they're always criticizing and always condemning, not realizing throwing truth bombs just blows people up. It doesn't help people. You see, Jesus didn't come and throw truth bombs at us. Jesus came and lived among us. He walked with us. He gave himself, and he lived the truth out with us. And so when he spoke truth, it was pleasant. When he spoke truth, it drew people because Jesus didn't throw a bomb and then go, I'm going to hide right here, and you can't get me. (laughs) Jesus came, and he lived among us. And even though he loved us and lived among us, we still crucified him. And the fact that you live and love people doesn't mean they won't take advantage of you sometime. But I'll tell you, you may be the reason that some man like Carl Stewart that you're working on that airplane with, that all he ever had was truth bombs thrown at him and never felt any love and all he'd ever felt was rejection, but somebody lived Jesus-style life among them and the truth changed their life because they saw it being lived in them. And then they, in turn, have changed countless others' lives because they have lived the truth out among other people. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Those of you that are Bible scholars, you know that that word, word, is logos. The Greek word also means wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom and the power of God. Jesus is also the wisdom of God to, for, and with me. He's the wisdom of God to me, the wisdom of God for me, and the wisdom of God with me. Christ above me, Christ beneath me, Christ around me, Christ within me. Wherever I go, Jesus is there. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 14, that Pastor Corey read to you this morning, says, insight and strength are mine. What is insight? Insight is that ability to know how things really work. Insight is that ability to see things for what they really are. Ever since I was a little boy, I loved Sherlock Holmes. I read Sherlock Holmes books. I watched all the black and white movies of Sherlock Holmes sometimes for relaxation i'll still go and see if i can't find those old black and white ones and my kids don't want to watch them but they're exciting to me to watch and relive And you say, Pastor, why'd you like Sherlock? Because he could spot things that nobody else could spot. He could spot the difference in the pattern. He could spot the difference in the hair. He could spot the difference in the chemical in the plant. He could pick up the paw print that nobody else would. He was just brilliant. He had insight. And as a pastor, I got to tell you, I'm just being honest with you because this is sometimes how I talk to the Lord. Sometimes I say, God, I need a Sherlock Holmes anointing right now. (sighs) Not one that comes from a pipe. I just need an anointing from the Holy Spirit right now. Because you've got squabbling people. You've got issues. You've got things you've got to deal with. You get called in on things. And you need insight. And only the Holy Spirit can give you insight. And you say, well, pastor, what makes you think you're so special that God will give you that insight? The same thing that makes you special. You are a child of God. And Jesus is both the wisdom and the power of God. He is wisdom to me. He is wisdom for me. And he is wisdom with me all the time somebody give him my hand of praise this morning <laughs> hallelujah you see I've discovered in life God's wisdom will make me and make you capable and competent make me capable and competent sometimes God touches our hearts and he changes our hearts and minds and he helps us if you'll see me looking around this one of the first service our bulb blue in the back projector and um, so I'm just checking to be sure the notes are there God's wisdom gives you the competency. You see, you know you may know how to do something. But how many of you know there is a difference in how you do something and the attitude you do something with? At Sandy's funeral this week, I thanked her for being a nurse and No offense to those of you that are doctors in here, I've been blessed with many good friends that are surgeons. One of my best friends who's a cardiovascular surgeon, just went to heaven recently. His son listens to our teachings here on on the internet quite a bit. He's a cardiovascular surgeon in Ohio. I was his youth pastor when he was younger. But you know, the ones that I remember the most are the nurses. Because oftentimes the doctors were so busy and had so much going on I remember nurses even just recently coming back from Asia when they put a pump in me after cutting a section of me out, out about that big trying to get all that infection out and the pump wasn't working and I couldn't convince anybody the pump wasn't working they just said it takes time and I finally I just looked at this nurse and I I said to her please just call the doctor for me and she it sounded like yelling I'm sure she did she's very professional but she put her arms around me blood and everything no gloves and she just began to comfort me and I will never forget that and sure enough when they got up there from anesthesiology the pump wasn't working there was no morphine going into my system but she cared sometimes I bump into these nurses around here in the community there's two of them who live right down the street one day were giving me a bath. And they said, aren't you Pastor Clanton? That is not when you want to be addressed as Pastor Clanton. I said, through gritted teeth, yes. No, I didn't say, oh, glory, I promise you that. They live in a subdivision across the street. I said, we're coming to your church. I said, no, you're not. I will have the ushers take you out if you come to my church. There is transparency, and then there's transparency. You see, it's that way that people take care of you. God's wisdom will put you on the best path for your life. It's the reason that over and over the Bible says that, it just says it like this, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise and watch over you. I can't tell you what that means to me. Wisdom is not a, now look at me, don't miss this. Listen to me carefully right here. Everybody listen carefully. Wisdom is, is not mastering a bunch of rules. Wisdom is not mastering a checklist. Wisdom is not mastering a textbook. Wisdom is not even mastering the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who you allow him to be your master in life. And you are mastered by Jesus Christ. And that's what I meant earlier when I said some of you who read a chapter from Proverbs every day, you're being mastered by the wisdom of God because you have this hunger and this desire and this love for Jesus Christ. God's wisdom will lead you to victory. It will take you to victory, from victory to victory, from from battle to battle. But in all of those, you will win. You know this verse of Scripture, so say it with me. Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, take my upon you. Learn of me and be blessed. He says, you will find rest for your soul. That yoke we, we have in our house, an ox och- that Becky's grandfather plowed strawberry fields with in Castlebury, Alabama. We have that yoke in our house that he plowed with. It's been refurbished and refreshed because it reminds us not only of her background from her mother's side of the family, but it reminds us of what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't send us out, Jesus goes out with us when he sends us. And if Jesus be with us, friends, hell fears us. And some Christians need to get a bigger vision of God, some Christians need to get their minds off the storms and get their eyes upon Jesus Christ because he will always lead you from victory to victory. And what Jesus says is, take my yoke upon you. He's saying to you, this is a personal relationship I want to have with you. Mary Poplin is a professor at Claremont Graduate School. Mary Poplin would have one time in her life disagreed, mocked in her classroom at Claremont everything that I say here today. She was a radical feminist. Her agenda was very new age. Any other religion except Christianity was okay with her. But according to her own testimony published in 2017, and just a wonderful article to read about somebody hardened against Christianity and how they came to Christ. She said, I could see glimpses of who I really was. I was not growing freer. My heart was growing harder, my emotions darker, and my mind more confused she thought the church was all about bondage Everything, evidently all that she'd ever learned about church was about bondage it was just mastering the rules it's kind of like my father-in-law said about the legalism the fundamentalism and the orphanage he grew up in if you've ever had to watch over a bunch of kids you know you want to keep order you know you do but when you're adopted by a Christian family and then sent back by that Christian family because you're not what they want You begin to put those things together and there are a lot of people in our society they have experienced rejection by Christians because they're just not what they think a Christian ought to be then one night Mary goes on her story she had a dream about Jesus how many of you believe God still speaks in dreams and visions today he does She had this dream about Jesus, and in the dream, Jesus was at the Last Supper, and she walked up to Jesus, and when she got close to Jesus, she says, I grasped that immediately in his presence that every cell in my body was filled with filth, and I fell at his feet, and she, he says, in her dream, he reached over and touched my shoulders, and suddenly, I knew peace. And she said, yet there was a part of me because I'd had two abortions. It was a part of me because of how I lived that somehow or another I just didn't feel like God could completely forgive me of everything I'd ever done wrong. Somehow or another I, I had to earn it. And she said, counselors would tell me, just pray First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And sometimes we know that truth But incorporating that truth deep into our spirits and believing the word of the Lord, that's another story, especially if your life has been marked by something that the enemy is beating you up with. But the wisdom and the power of God is this. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sins and cleanses from all unrighteousness. There was a thief hanging on the cross beside Jesus Christ He was guilty. Evidently, his sin was such, his crime was such that it wasn't just a petty theft. It wasn't just stealing maybe a little bit of food. It wasn't maybe just stealing something from the marketplace. Evidently, what he had done, it deserved the attention of the Roman government. And we know from reading the stories of Christ's passion that the Roman government didn't have time to be troubled by these petty things. But there he was being crucified by the Roman government. Some sin was so great in his life that it had put him on a cross. And when Jesus looked at him, he forgave him, and he says, this day you will be with me in paradise. There is no sin too big. There is no crime too big. There is nothing you could do that is more powerful than the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It changes lives. Psychiatrists would like to do that. Psychologists would like to do that. There are good people working in those fields. Government would like to do that. But we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, the only thing, the only one who can change a heart and a life is Jesus Christ. He's the wisdom and the power of God. Knowing God's best in my life means that, first of all, I got to get to know him. I mean, I've got to make a deliberate attempt to get to know God. There are people that want to know you. There, there, there's everyone in this room. There are people you know. They want to know you. They call you. They invite you to lunch. They invite you to coffee. They want to do life with you. They want to spend time with you. They make an effort to get a hold of you. There are people you know who say they want to get to know you, but they never make an effort to get to know you. And then there are people in here that you want to know. And may I suggest that you make an effort, instead of waiting always for somebody else to call you, you you make the effort to get to know them. Take one another out for lunch. But you want to get to know God. You want to build a relationship with him. You know, and my suggestion has always been, start your day with God. Start your, begin in the presence of Jesus. David said in Psalms 5 and verse 3, listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning, I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. Now, I was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at 4 o'clock this morning. I wake, it doesn't matter when I go to bed, 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to be up. You're yawning right now. Either I'm boring you or you're still sleepy, but I'm awake at 4 o'clock. My family hates that. My old mama hates that. She says, I feel like I have to get up when you're here and you get up so early. I said, Mama, you don't have to get up. She says, well, I don't like people rummaging through my kitchen. I said, well, Mama, I'm going to rummage when I get up, so get over it. <laughs> I'm going to find the grits and the eggs, and I'm going to do it, and you know. But I'm awake. But if you're like my family, if you're like my wife, Becky's not an early morning person. But may I suggest to you, Don't turn on the morning news. Try to wake up with the morning news about how many murders happened in Detroit last night, how many people got raped, how many people got robbed. What a wonderful way to start your day. (laughs) I mean, start your day with some praise and worship music. Put a mix on your iPhone or iPod, your stereo. Place something that glorifies God. Drink your coffee and just, you know, Michigan's a wonderful place to do this. I know from experience. Step out on your porch in the morning. Just a couple of minutes out there in that cold air, you're going to be awake. You will be thankful for one thing when you walk back inside. You're inside and not outside. Your whole attitude will change. Wake up, get to read something devotional. Read something that will you know take advantage of the little daily breads that we give you here. Some of you you're cranky when you get up. Now I know this because your wife told me. <laughs> it's like one man said to another man, he said Did you wake up grumpy? He said, No, I let her sleep this morning. <laughs> you know, it, I, can I make a suggestion? And I know this goes contrary. Turn off the computer and the iPad and the iPhone. Turn off the television and go to bed. If you want to get up 30 minutes earlier, go to bed 30 minutes earlier. You know, there's a health crisis in America because people aren't sleeping enough. You know? And if you're cranky, maybe take a power nap during the night. Now I'm not a nap. I wish I was, but take a power nap during the day. I don't know how I got off on that. So just start your day with God. Secondly, trust God. Trust God. I gotta tell you something, friends. I've lived 63 years of an adventure. I trust him. I've been threatened, bullied, pushed. I have faced so many, but I tell you, I trust God. I've t- learned to trust him. The things that I thought were bad, God has brought good out of them. The things that I thought were evil, God has brought good out of them. Beth, are you here? Beth Gilday, are you here this morning? Kevin was one of my best friends. I loved Kevin. Beth is a dear friend as well. And I sat in the Michigan Hospital Tower. And I just told the Lord, I says, God, I, I don't want Kevin to die. He's been such a help. I, I need him at the church. I need what he does here, he helped in so many ways. He, he ran all of our security for events. He brought in that big trailer with all the security. He brought in volunteers that came and helped us. And uh, Kevin was always working and helping in so many areas around the church. And I, know, I said, Lord, I know I sound selfish, but I need Kevin. But right there praying in that hospital tower, sitting in my car, I love Kevin but I knew right then Kevin was going to heaven and so one of the most meaningful conversations I've ever had with anybody is I went in and said Kevin we need to talk I said I need you to tell me what you want me to do for you after you die and I've kept my word on every single thing I told him and I've got to tell you something It's been good. Beth's done well. Those of you who know Beth, she's done so well. Kevin's life is still bearing fruit. Sometimes, when things don't go the way we think they ought to go, we say we can't trust God. God sees from a perspective that you and I will never see from. That's why He's God and we're not. Proverbs 3, 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Read that with me. This is powerful. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now, friends, all of that is future. In other words, God is going to do something in your future. Look at me right now. Some of you are petrified about your future. Some of you are insecure about it. maybe you haven't saved enough, you think, or maybe you haven't lived a good enough life, or maybe you're not where you thought you would be in life, or maybe your kids haven't turned out the way you thought your kids would turn out, or maybe your, your career hasn't gone the way you thought it should go, or your health isn't what you thought it should be. I want to submit to you this morning, your hope is in God, and with God, you have always got a future. With Christ, you have always got a future because he is the wisdom of God to you, for you, and with you. And if you are in Christ, you can swing across hell on a rotten corn stalk and spit the devil in the eye this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Don't ever forget that. Never forget that. Well, you've got to choose your friends wisely. You see, I have friends, and then I have godly friends. I have friends, people who don't know the Lord, people who don't believe in Christ or in the Bible. They're my friends. I'm building relationships with them, but then I have friends. Those who love Jesus Christ. Those that I turn to for counsel and mentoring and advice. One of my friends called me yesterday just to pray and ask God's anointing and favors as I go to Georgia. There was a district superintendent who called just said, I want to pray with you. And then I picked up a voicemail. It was from a missionary in Africa. He said, I just want to call and pray with you. Your father-in-law was a good man, and I see you're going to be preaching the funeral. Those people have poured into my life. One was from a man that's a president of a university who called to say, I just want to pray with you. Those are the kinds of friends you want to be. Some of you don't know Ramanita Larson, but when Kevin and Ramanita were here as a part of our church, and Kevin was overseas helping with the project, and Ramanita had multiple strokes. It took two years for her to recover, but the doctor said she wouldn't recover. I have the notes from those meetings that Kevin invited me in at U of M. She will not recover. If she does recover, she will be a vegetable. She is a pastor's wife today, but for two years, people, godly people in this community called Woodland. They took care of the family, they took care of the boys, and they loved them. You've got to choose your friends wisely. They're the people you do life with. Proverbs 119 in verse 63 says, I choose as my friends everyone who worships you and follows your teachings. How do you know they're a godly friend? They worship the Lord, and they're mastered by the wisdom of God. Get it? that doesn't mean they're perfect they worship Jesus they love him with their heart soul mind and strength but they're mastered by his teaching they're living out those principles and then know God's commands memorize God's words when you go through discovering woodland with me or discovering spiritual maturity our discipleship class here We'll give you tools on how to memorize the Bible, how to commit verses of Scripture to your heart so that they're there not just for your own personal growth but when a crisis comes up. Abraham Lincoln said, this great book, speaking of the Bible, is the best gift God has given to man. But for it, we could not know right from wrong. Listen, but for it, we could not know right from wrong. The Bible, the best gift, but for it, we... That's what I was trying to tell the chairman of this department at this university. That if I talk to you, it's going to be purely from, are you sure you want to talk to me? This book is the best gift God has ever given. I will never, ever understand in my life why people neglect it. I will never understand it as a matter of fact if we would spend just a fifth of our time that we spend watching television studying reading and meditating on the Word of God I can promise you a 100 to 200 percent return on your life right now because you're being mastered by the Word who do you believe I've been a subscriber to Time magazine for decades, Christianity Today decades, Wall Street Journal and New York Times for uh, I don't know how. But none of those come before the Bible. And none of them including Christianity Today as much as I love that magazine, none of them give you the hope and the confidence that God's word does. As a matter of fact, New York Times had to be rebuked this week by one of its own opinion writers for its anti-Semitism, for an anti-Semitic cartoon that it ran, for its anti-Semitic articles, and for its... So one of their own opinion writers paid for by the New York Times was forced to make an apology. You see, we live in a world now that's governed by ideologies and not Truth. And that's why it's important to memorize God's word. My child, never forget the things I've taught you and store my commands in your heart. And then finally this morning, and this will probably be the most difficult one, but it's where I want to close. If you know Jesus, you're going to know discipline. If you know Jesus, you're going to know discipline. You see, I think sometimes we forget Remember what I said? 1 through 9 is the definition. 10 through 17 is all of those wise sayings. And then 17 to about chapter 30 is about, you know, those if and nots, those up and down parts of life. Remember I told you that at the beginning? It's chapter, it's chapter 18 to about chapter 30. It's after chapter 17 that you begin to see. oh, even if I do all these things, that doesn't mean I'm going to be safe from trouble. There's going to be trouble in your life. Sometimes the trouble is of our own making. As a matter of fact, Paul says to the Christians one time, he he just deals with them about the troubles of their own making. Sometimes it's trouble that other people make for us. Sometimes it may be health trouble. Sometimes it may be relational struggles. But if you will listen, Becky said I should stop calling myself an old man, but if you'll just listen to me for just a moment. I have lived long enough to tell you this it's not the good times in life that build you they're fun it's conquering those battles and seeing the hand of God work in those troubles nobody wants them I don't want them but it's those conquering those battles that make you the man or the woman you're going to be get it it's conquering them why am I discouraged why is my heart so sad I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again. Say that with me. I will praise him again. Say it with me. I will praise him. One more time. I will praise him again. Sometimes you just get to the point where it's the battle is so hard that you, you forget to worship. You're listening to CNN and Fox and ABC and CBS, and you just go, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Nobody cares. There's nobody righteous anymore except for me and my family. We're the only righteous ones. And when you get your eyes on Jesus, you understand there's still a lot of salt and there's still a lot of light on this earth. The church is going to come through this thing and the cross is going to still be standing because God has not called us to fail. God has called us to win. And there is no winning without a battle. There is no winning without a struggle. There is no winning without a war. My favorite football plays are what they call the goal line stands. When they get right, and it's the battle right there, the pushing. It's not the long balls. It's not the Hail Marys. It's not the trick plays. But when they get right there, and it's inches. And when we win it, it's good. When they win it, it's terrible. The referees are all at fault. Or else the lions are just, they're disappointing me again. (laughs) You see, what makes it sweet was the struggle and the battle. And I got to tell you something. You're going to win. Because you've got the best that God can give you. You've got the best there is. You've got Jesus. And I don't mean to be trite, but if you've got Jesus, you've got everything. Would you stand with me this morning and let's pray together. Hallelujah. Lord, we rejoice in your presence. Father, we rejoice in the pardon of our sins. Jesus, we rejoice in your provision. You've given us all we need for life and godliness. Lord, we rejoice in your protection. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Lord Jesus, we rejoice in your peace. For any time you showed up, you said, peace. Peace I give you, not like the world gives. But Jesus there will come a time we're along with Sandy and Pastor Stewart and all of those that have gone ahead of us Lord we will rejoice in a place called paradise we will rejoice in heaven because of what you've done for us so i just want to say from the bottom of my heart thank you god for giving us the best the indescribable gift of God, Jesus Christ. And I don't pray this to be pious, Lord, but take this feeble attempt on my part to be able to say to these people that I love, Jesus is the very best that heaven could give. If you're not a follower of Jesus today or you haven't committed your life to Christ, maybe like Mary Poplin, teacher at a prestigious university, somehow or another you've just come to know that Jesus is who he says he is this morning. This this has not been a message about how to manage your time or how to get wealthy or how to have a happy marriage. This has been a message about Jesus. He loves you. He died for your sins. And if like the professor, you know this morning you want a personal relationship with God. You want him to be the master of your life. I just ask you to pray this prayer with me right now. Just, you can pray it quietly, but pray it sincerely. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ who came and lived among us. I believe he lives today and I want him to be your wisdom to me, for me, and with me. And I confess my sins. That's the moral failures that we've done in life. And I ask you, Lord, to come into my life. Cleanse me from every sin. I don't understand it all yet, but as much as I know how, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. And everyone said, amen. 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 Can we give the Lord a hand of praise this morning? I am so grateful. Hallelujah.